3: Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Mexican champion Gonzalo Herrera about the continual improvement and evolution of the game, how you're never too experienced to learn something new, and the importance of discipline. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's Qubits. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? Hi, I'm well. How are you, Catherine? Ah, well, I have to tell you, I have been better. I've been having one of those weeks. It's just been a horror for me. And... (gasps) I know that you're going to make me feel better about this. I'm having one of those weeks. I've just had what feels like hand after hand, where I am trying so hard, and I I step back like all those times I've told myself to do it. I step back and I I have a really proper think about a hand, and I put instinct aside, and I overlay it with all sorts of analysis, and I'm thinking through the auction, and I'm missing, and I'm thing. And I get it sorted out, and I decide on a line of play, and then I'm really pleased with myself because it's been a really considered hand that I've declared, and i've I've achieved the goal that I've wanted to achieve, and then I look at the result twelve percent zero eight percent like just disastrous, absolutely disastrous. I was in one four heart contract, I made twelve tricks oh. Was I happy? Everyone else made 13. (laughs) It's just like, come on. I was in a four club contract. I went off one. I thought, oh well, you know what wasn't there. I tried really hard. Everyone else made plus two. And then another one, one no trump by the opponents. And I set it by one. Oh, was I excited? Everyone else. Off three or four. I mean. (laughs) I'm sure it's just selection bias that I'm seeing it everywhere now, but oh, it's really disheartening.
1: Weird. Um, I know it's really tough to do, but have you gone in and really analyzed the difference in your approach versus the people who are having better results? And is there a takeaway that is consistent across these kinds of hands now?
3: Oh, I just wish, you know, because then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that thing. It's a lesson. I can really focus on that. No, Mm. sadly, my flaws are many and varied. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's so hard to
1: find those specific lessons that you can glean because you go from one hand, like what we were doing last night, where the lesson of the hand that you played was you must draw trumps absolutely off the bat. Don't even try for a finesse. You just have to just get rid of them. Yeah. And then the very next hand that I played, it was absolutely the wrong thing to do was (laughs) to draw the trumps and try to get them out. No. Instead, you had to set up your other suit. Yeah. uh, just completely different. So what is there to be learned from these I don't know.
3: And also the other thing, I don't know if you get this, but sometimes I just have this kind of tunnel vision and it's probably because of something that's maybe gone wrong or gone well in another hand. But I am so fixated on some particular part of the hand, a puzzle or a problem that I see with the hand, that something incredibly obvious right there is just I just don't even notice it. And it's the complete solution. You know, like you said, maybe I just needed to draw the trump. If you just count your tricks, it's not complicated. But I just don't even see it. And it drives me crazy. I don't understand how this continues to happen to me. I
1: think the trick is really figuring out what the issue being presented, what the puzzle is by a particular hand, and, and not falling for any of the distractions and just going for finding the solution to the immediate problem.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's the perennial thing. It's very,
1: it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it, people are operating on such a different level. Uh, I was at a tournament last weekend and I was really <laughs> stunned when this player I heard saying, oh, I'm having to do a squeeze on every hand. And I, I'd played the same hands what squeeze (laughs) what squeeze (laughs) was there a squeeze
3: (laughs) every (laughs) (laughs) hand um yeah well I am definitely not there yet (laughs) that's so funny that is so funny Just going to your point though about lessons to take away, I I do know that one of the things I tend not to do and I think it's just laziness is actually count my tricks and so often you just count your tricks and especially if you're just looking to make the contract, invariably there are a number of paths to that and yet I don't do it and I hate to admit it but I realize afterwards if I'd just done that, it wouldn't have been a problem at all. So okay, that's my takeaway, lesson learned, count my tricks. Thanks, Jocelyn. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jocelyn, a lot of podcasts would probably have some kind of endorsement or advertising at this spot. Yes,
1: but not us.
3: Not us. Not us. (laughs) But we'd love to have some support. It's really easy.
1: You just go to our website, sorrypartner.com, click on the support the show tab and it'll take you to our secure Patreon page. Many of you have contributed already, and we are so grateful. But if you haven't, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now back to the show.
3: So I've been dipping into our trusty mailbag, and I have two letters for you this week. Our first letter is from Julia in Edinburgh, Scotland. She is referring to an Instagram post we had a little while ago when someone was complaining to the tournament director that someone was playing her hand and she hadn't (laughs) realised. It was a person. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which I think is also not uncommon. She says, recently, however, I received a unique call. And she's attached the hands. So I'll put them on Instagram so that people can have a look. The auction goes, one, no trump by opener, two hearts by responder, which we assume is a transfer. And then the opener says five hearts. And Julia's written, heaven knows what five hearts was. And then the responder has said five spades. And then the opener calls the director and explains to the director that she was trying to double five spades, but there was no double in her bidding box to allow her to do so. We spent three minutes with me, the tournament director, trying to explain to her that you can't double your own partner, no matter how much (laughs) you'd really like to do so. (laughs) She eventually passed, but she wasn't at all happy. She got a top for five spades, tick so it still would have been the same if BBO had allowed her to double her partner's <laughs> five spades or even five spades redoubled should the robot retaliate. I was quite impressed that the robot knew what to do over five hearts. Keep up the good work, Julia. <laughs> was it exclusion or, or what? Well, she doesn't know. I don't think either of them knew. I mean, it, <laughs> it possibly was. Who knows? There, there was some snafu involved. But how could it be
1: exclusion? Actually, that doesn't make sense because there was a one-no-Trump opener.
3: Yeah, one-no-Trump opener. I look at who knows. Maybe they hadn't played together before. We both know how that goes or someone was just not concentrating. Who knows what happened?
1: I have five hearts. Great. I'll bid (laughs) five hearts.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, on that theme, do you remember we heard a few weeks ago from John in Boston who had five high card points and six clubs? Yes. And he bid two clubs yes well john has written to us again saying here is a story where i don't look as ridiculous as i have <laughs> in emails i said to you <laughs> oh good yeah okay john here we go redemption on sorry partner this year i actually made and bid seven no trump twice within two weeks in the first instance i showed up for a game where my normal partners were not available I was paired with someone I'd never played with and we had less than five minutes before play started. He scanned my convention card, said okay, and we were playing. Midway through the game, I used keycard blackwood to find that we had all of the aces. He had two kings and I had one king. I knew that our hands fit together well and figured that somehow we'd get around the missing king. In my experience, if you can make a slam in a suit, you can almost always make the slam in no trump. So I reached deeper in the bidding box than I have ever reached before and bid seven no Trump. My partner audibly gasped and I thought he was having a heart attack. When he tabled his cards, I saw that we were missing two kings, not one. I guess a 30-second convention card scan did not cover the bidding. (laughs) Oh well, carry on. It turned out that both kings were on side, both finesses worked, and seven no Trump made. It was very satisfying. And then two weeks later, one of my regular partners and I played a game in 7 No Trump online. In this hand, when I responded to her opening and she drove to 6 No Trump. That was a surprise. I did not have a chance to show extra values, so I raised her to 7 No Trump. After what I imagine was her spishing coffee on her keyboard, she made the contract. Again, very satisfying. So there you go. Bid and made 7-0 no Trump twice in two weeks. I've never bid 7-0 no Trump before and will probably never do it again. <laughs> <It's not.
1: laughs> Remember how Isaac Mizrahi's mother was so excited because he had made seven no trump.
3: Yes, the holy grail. And it was like his greatest accomplishment (laughs) in his life. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad about all the designing and the boots and the music and the seven no trump. You made the big time. Yeah, no, it is the it is very exciting.
1: So if you have any fun stories about trying to double your partner and probably not being permitted to do so or about seven no Trump bid and made. Please do send them to us. You can reach us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram, or you can send us a voice message. And these links are in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with
3: some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Gonzalo Herrera.
1: Mexican champion Gonzalo Herrera has represented his country many times in the open and mixed teams and pairs at the world championships in the open at the world team Olympiad in the open at the world bridge games and in the mixed at the world bridge series. He also serves on the executive council of the world bridge federation. We began by asking what he loves most about bridge.
2: Well, that you never finish learning bridge. Every time I play, every year, every uh, the, every tournament, I learn something. Even if you think you play very well, you are always learning something. And I started playing many, many years ago. And since that time, the bridge world has improved a lot. So everybody's improving and learning and learning. And I think the... the The world champions of the 60s, which I knew, nowadays, if they didn't uh, continue playing, they will never win anything (laughs) because bridge has improved a lot and a lot each five to 10 years is like a new generation of bridge players.
1: Are you referring more to the bidding systems that have evolved and less about the card play?
2: Yes, well... What has improved a lot and will continue improving a lot this video. I read a book about five years ago, the Watson Play of the Cards. It's perfect. The combinations are there, so they cannot change. But the approach with the humans beat every card is incredible. The, the the way it has improved and improved and improved and continue improving. I try to play the percentage play as often as possible. Of course, you have to change a little bit. Let's say they open a preempt. on my left. They open three-something on my left. Of course, that hand is going to be short in the other sense that I will take into consideration playing the hand. But when they pass on the hand, I will play the percentage.
3: And and that's the sort of information that is in that book?
2: Yeah, you have all that. And that book has been printed, I think, since the 30s.
3: Yeah. It's a real classic.
2: Yeah.
1: When you think about learning something every time you play, can you give a specific example of something recent where you found yourself confronting something that was new and different and you learned something?
2: Well, let me tell you, I, uh, in America, there is the ACBL Bulletin, which is monthly publication. I read even the 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 advertising. I read everything (laughs) because you never know when you are going to learn something. It might be in the intermediate players that you learn something. You might learn something of every small piece of bridge you might be learning because bridge is not like a a university that you go there and you have different subjects and the, the Teachers, they go in order from the beginning to the end of the course. The bridge, you learn more or less the mechanics, let's call. But then you start playing, and sometimes you might learn some basics, skip something, and learn something more advanced. And you never know, really, because there is not a book that says, oh, you have to learn all this from the beginning. So maybe you miss something, and you can learn it even in a novice part.
3: What is your earliest memory of Bridge?
2: I started playing Bridge because uh, one night my older sister came. I was living with my parents. I was something about 14 years old, and she came very excited. Oh, they taught me a little bit about a new game called Bridge. This and this and this and this. And I say, well, I want to, to learn. Oh. Then uh, Saturday afternoon, a father of a friend will give us a lesson. So if you want to come, it's okay. So I went there and uh, started seeing how they play. and I was very interested. And uh, One month later, we were betting very, very little money. <laughs> very little <laughs> money. But at 14 years, even little money is a lot because you could win or lose half dollar or one dollar. But at that time in Mexico, you could go with half dollar to the movies, and buy a, a soda, buy a popcorn. So even little money was a lot. So I was losing at the beginning. So I said, no, I don't want to lose because I have so little money from my father that if I lose, uh, I have nothing. So I, I want to win that little money because that will make a lot difference in my life. And did you? Yes. I don't know, about three years later, in a holy week, I went to a a resort place uh, close to Mexico City, Cuernavaca, in an aunt's house. Suddenly one night, she asked me, oh, do you want to play bridge? I'm going with uh, my friends, but uh, we are 11. We are missing one player. I say, well, but I cannot go because I cannot lose. You you bet a lot. And then my uncle said, look, Gonzalo, if you lose, I pay. If you win, we split.
3: Oh, nice.
2: Well, that way I can go. (laughs) (laughs) So I went. My uncle was very happy because I was driving the car for my aunt. Go, have dinner, play, and return her in the morning, two or three in the morning. So next morning, I'm sleeping about eight o'clock and my uncle came, wake me up. Oh, the the breakfast is almost ready. Come on, because I want to know how, how we did last night. Oh, don't worry, we we won. Well, that's <laughs> that's something nice to watch. But I want to know who lost, because in that people there are two people I hate them. I want them to lose <laughs> <laughs>
1: And were those the right people?
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, one was incredible. I never saw him uh, winning, but he was a banker, so whatever amount we bet, he could lose. And uh, it was strange; they didn't pay each night. They just keep count. And the last night, Saturday night, they paid. So after one week, because everybody was happy that I went, and they were 11 all the week, so I, oh, we want you to come daily. Oh, yes, I want to come daily. All the nights I won, at that time, I won the amount of money that uh, you need to buy a new Volkswagen in Mexico. Ah, Wow. (laughs) I was really happy.
1: Did you buy a
2: new Volkswagen? No, 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 I No. Uh, My father let me use my mother's cars in the weekends. So, I didn't need to buy a new car. But I gave that money to my mother and I said, I divided it into 50 weeks, one year of good money. <laughs> Very good money for one year. Definitely. I could go private to dance uh, and Saturday to have dinner with a girl, Sunday, wherever I want. I was rich in that time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: In Mexico City at the time?
2: No, there was no rubber bridge. The Where you can play for money was at homes. Okay. Just at houses.
3: And how did you go from playing like that to becoming a competitive player at Bridge Club? Well,
2: since I was a boy, I was very good at numbers, and things like that. And in the Bridge Club, there was an old lady, beautiful lady, she gave me books, uh, magazines. She was subscribed, read it, and gave it to me in the same month. So I started reading. Also, I remember my mother received a French magazine, Jours de France. It has a beautiful bridge column in French. So what I did was to take the French dictionary so I could, at the beginning, understand the French. And then... Uh, I continue learning because there was very good articles in French. In France, they play very well. So
1: this lovely woman at the Bridge Club that lent you magazines and books, is there a particular book that you remember really impressed you and was very compelling, taught you a lot about Bridge at the time?
2: Yes. It was uh, Five Weeks to Winning Bridge of Alfred uh, Sheywood.
3: And what was it that, that really spoke to you about that book? Well, it was easy reading
2: and it started at the beginning and learning little by little because at the beginning I think I jumped from novice and then I learned advanced things and then I, I returned to novice. But in the book it was little by little telling about every single aspect of it. car playing, uh, defense, beating and uh, I love it.
3: What about now? Are there any books that you regularly recommend to your students?
2: I recommend uh, definitely uh, magazines. There is one in England, I think it's Bridge Magazine. In New York, they produce The Bridge World and the ACBL Bulletin. Those three are very, very good.
3: What's the strangest, almost unexpected place that you've ever played Bridge?
2: Well, you won't believe it. In jail. I was not in jail. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a lady that normally play at the bridge club in Mexico City. There was a problem. The son-in-law appeared dead at her home in Acapulco. So nobody knows what happened, even now. It was almost... 50-something years ago. Everybody thinks she was taking care of her daughter. But she said, no, I was the one that shot him. So she was in jail. So some of the old ladies of the bridge club, one day they told me, oh, we are going to Acapulco so we can play bridge with this lady in jail to, to make a week better for her. Do you to go? Oh, yes, I go. <laughs> it's not the best place, but it was a strange place to play.
1: Do you have a favorite tournament that you love to play?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, one in Mexico in uh, Puerto Vallarta. It's a beach place in the Pacific.
1: Is that in the fall, usually?
2: Uh, November.
1: yes.
3: Yes. I've heard wonderful things about that one. When you've been playing at a tournament, say, for a few days, and you go home again, how do you like to relax or unwind after you've been at a big tournament? Oh,
2: there's only one way. You need to sleep. <laughs> 30 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to, to, to wake up a little bit because I'm hungry. I eat something else. <laughs> then you go back to sleep.
3: But that's interesting. So you do come home quite tired.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you are in the tournament, I don't know the emotion of the tournament. You are wake up uh, next morning and uh, you want to win. Uh, but the last day, let's say, normally Sunday, oh, I went to sleep for three days. <laughs>
3: What does your partner most like about the way that you play? Well,
2: I think my discipline. I'm very disciplined playing bridge. I think without discipline, you are not going to be very good.
3: Is there anything that they dislike about the way that you play?
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) Not like my partners. (laughs) I don't talk to my partners while I'm playing, except... I want a glass of water or coffee or whatever. Because the worst thing you can do to your partner, if your partner made a mistake, maybe he knows after the hand is over that the mistake is there. Why you have to tell him what you made a mistake? Right. Uh, And that hand is over. You need to think in the next hand always. Never in the last hand. Last hand is gold. this history. If you
1: could change one thing about your game, what would it be?
2: Uh, yes. Sometimes I'm lazy and I don't count some hands. That's very familiar. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I see, oh, this contract is called, and I play it very fast without counting. The other day I was trying to make an overtrick in a six contract. And I didn't count. I have 13 tricks since the beginning. I could claim a trick one.
1: (laughs) What's the biggest challenge for a bridge partnership?
2: To respect each other. If you respect, you will be playing forever.
1: How do you see the future of bridge? Well,
2: when I started playing bridge, there was only card games there was no any ataris or computers or iPads or cellular phones. I think bridge will survive if we can make bridge tournaments with some fun extra. I don't know a drink at the end, a dinner. Each tournament can have its own. But let's say in America, in the United States. The ACBL, they make bridge, 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 and bridge. It's horrible. And then you have to almost have a fight in the bar because <laughs> the bar is for 100 people and we go 1,000 people and we want a drink. So you are going to have a fight to, to get one drink, to get the second one in post.
3: So you'd like there to be more of a social dimension or just a broader idea of what a bridge tournament might be? Yes. Let's see, at the end of the second session, why don't have a, a room?
2: Maybe you can charge a little bit more the entry, and then you can have the bottles there, and you can serve it yourself. And have a drink, and talk about the hands, and with the people you like for half hour, one hour, and they go to sleep.
3: So to, to create a bit of fun atmosphere, is that what you mean?
2: Yes, we need to make fun atmosphere.
3: So tell me, what would be your ideal bridge tournament if it had all these elements?
2: Uh, that in the last round, drinks for everyone and something to eat, uh, to have uh, one hour there. Not big, not very long, but if you want to talk to everybody, you go uh, to the bar and it's incredible to have to wait 25 minutes or 30 minutes so the waiter comes and serve you one drink and then how are you going to pay? Uh, it's easier to put $10 more in the entry fee, uh, put the drinks, uh, ice, drink uh, I don't know, some chocolates or some crackers or whatever you like. One of the things of the Vallarta tournament is a small tournament, but normally it's the same people. So we know each other. Let's say the breakfast, the hotel has a big buffet. Go there where you sit in any table. You know, everybody having breakfast, uh, may I sit? Everybody will say, oh, Of course, be my guest or things like that. And then uh, in the night, in the, in the bar, they will be, or some people, they just come to my room because they are big rooms. And you go there, and there are 30 people, four bottles. Some ice, some sodas, and something to Just a small place to talk and and be happy. I think in Bridge, we have a lot of people that they are really nice people and they have something to to know and you have something to learn and to talk and to know, to practice a little bit.
3: If you could put together your dream team, who would be on it? And we're talking anyone.
2: Well... I think uh, Bob Kamen, Jeff Mextrot, Benito Garozzo, Giorgio Belladonna, and the fifth, it's a young man, Daniel Corbell.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what is it about that combination of people that is interesting to you?
2: Well, Garozzo and Belladonna were extraordinarily good players. Kamen has been... I think the strongest player in bridge history. Max is a genius, completely genius. I have seen some play of that. Ah, that think, and he thinks very fast. I have played with him. And Daniel Corbell, he is in his 30 and he plays very, very, very few mistakes.
3: Mm-mm. What is something that people might be surprised to learn about you?
2: Well, people think that uh, my main hobby in, in my life was bridge. But when I was young, I used to race cars. I won a lot of races and rallies. and uh, I had lots of fun in the cars. And one time I had to, to choose between a, a rally. And uh, at that time, the Italian bridge team, the blue team, was coming to Mexico or to play against Italians, of course, I went to the rally. (laughs) So, really, I prefer cars. Oh, wow. But now I don't race anymore. My last uh, competition was in 2009. Even then, I was very old (laughs) to to be in a racing car.
1: (laughs) What's the most important thing to learn about defense when you're a
2: developing player? Of course, as anything in bridge, you need to count in defense. But you need to use the non-suit suit, so you can make uh, suit preference signals. If you don't make suit preference signals, really you are guessing.
1: Do you prefer to do a suit preference signal, you know, rather than an attitude signal or
2: a count signal? No, no. A trick first normally is attitude. Attitude, right. Very strange. You can make a, a suit preference at trick one. Sometimes you can make it. But it's wonderful if you can make a suit preference at trick one.
1: Like obvious shift?
2: Well, I have heard about the ob- obvious shift. Obvious shift is not so obvious. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the problem.
3: Are you a superstitious player? Do you have any rituals or routines that you always keep when you play at a tournament? No, not
2: superstitions. Uh, one time, I was playing a a long match, more than a hundred twenty eight hands against the Canadians. The winner goes to the Bermuda Bowl. So the the fifth segment out of eight, the sixth and the seventh segment, I was always north. I had no points, no decision. I did nothing. Of course, they were winning it. I hate that. I like to, to make the decisions. So when the eighth segment was going to start, I say, well, I will move. And then I, I say, no, 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 no. There is no way four segments in a row I have no decision in this seat. Can so I keep my things if I'm not superstitious. I know there is people that have lucky clothes. Uh, no, I... I'm quite easy. I don't need uh, coffee or water. I can go a full session without drinking or eating. Or So I'm quite easy. The only thing I I hate is if it is too hot. If it is too cold, I don't care. Because normally I take a sweater to the place. But if it is too hot, there is nothing I can do.
1: Is there a particular convention or gadget that you are especially fond of playing?
2: That I like to play? Mm-hmm. No.
1: How about a convention that you really dislike?
2: Oh, burger races. <laughs> I have never played them, but uh, they are not good.
3: Why don't you like them?
2: Because sometimes you are already at the three level, going three or four down with no play. Just because your partner has four terms.
1: A number of experts that we've talked to have pointed to knowing whether your partner has three-card or four-card support as being extremely important. Yes. And others maybe don't put as high a priority on that. I'm wondering where you are on that.
2: I think to know if your partner has four-card support is a great asset, is a- very important. Let's say if your partner is going to make a splinter bit with a tricker trump suit, they lead a, a trump. Then you give the three key short. They play a second trump. So you are going to rough one. There's no sense of that. If he has four trumps, normally you, you can rough two times or three. I think it's a great difference to know if he has three or four.
3: What is the best tip or advice that you've ever been given?
2: Never change your BB because of the last hand or next to last hand. You went down in a call seven. All right. Well, you are not in the best position, but don't change your system. You will be worse because if you change your system or you operate a little bit, now you are going to have two bad hands instead of one. Maybe you can survive with one bad hand or two bad hands, but if you continue, neither partner doesn't know, is she overbeating, is she underbeating, is she changing, oh no, it's true. Try to play every hand as if they were the first hand of each two. The cards, they don't have memories. They don't know you went down in the last hand.
3: Gonzalo, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure to talk to you.
3: And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest Gonzalo Herrera. Thank you also to
1: our Sorry Partner Posse of listener supporters who make the show possible.
3: Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso and Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to
1: sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. You'll get a monthly newsletter and other supporter benefits. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app on the website at sorrypartner.com or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well.
3: May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Gonzalo says, don't unilaterally change your system because of one bad hand. A, the cards don't have memories, but B, your partner does. (laughs) thank you partner thank you partner (laughs) bye (laughs) bye hold
1: up what was that